Hey guys, I'm Chastity, and you're listening to the Ancient Conspiracies Podcast, where we connect the origins of some of the most popular conspiracy theories to biblical history. Well, welcome to the final episode of the season. Man, it pains my heart to say that. But although I'm taking a quick break for summer to spend some time with family while school is out, I can't wait for August when I will be back and we're going to dive headfirst into the Book of Enoch. I have a phenomenal commentary on the Book of Enoch, along with my own personal twist, that I think is going to make Scripture come alive in ways that you couldn't have imagined. And I just want to take this opportunity to publicly thank all of my listeners, supporters, and those who've become members of my private blog, those who have financially supported me and supported me in prayer. I can't tell you how many messages I receive with people whose families are listening to the podcast, whose family members are returning to Christ from hearing the truth, who travel for work and have binged my entire season, in some cases multiple times, and who just can't get enough. And it blesses my soul to hear from you all, whether you've left reviews or messaged me privately or joined my private Facebook group and reached out to to me there. It really validates my work and the thoughts and prayers that have gone into this podcast. I couldn't be more grateful for your support and you share credit in what God is doing. So I truly thank you from the bottom of my heart. Now, I concluded the last episode by offering a forewarning that today's episode is going to be the most intense episode that I've ever made. And I want to make it abundantly clear straight out of the gate that this episode is not child appropriate. We're going to be discussing the darkest evils, including child trafficking and sacrifice. So if you have children present, I encourage you to either put your earbuds in for this one or come back to it later. And I share this information not to glorify darkness, but to bring to light that which is happening in the dark. We need to know our enemy, and more specifically, how he is manipulating us on all fronts and right before our very eyes. Most people don't even recognize it. Take, for example, the Commonwealth Games from just last summer in July of 2022, which I referenced at the close of our last episode. I found it comical that they prefaced the opening ceremony by claiming that what we were about to see was the story of how Birmingham is connected to every corner of the world. But then what unfolded right before our very eyes was a star falling from heaven, the Tower of Babel, a giant mechanical bull, and the literal representation of the Whore of Babylon riding the beast through the stadium. Now, if you weren't in any way familiar with scripture, this may have seemed like a magnificent and mesmerizing display, a truly beautiful visual of what could be construed as a battle between good and evil, with what they called shards of light overtaking the darkness. But even those with an elementary understanding of scripture would have immediately caught the phrase Birmingham Tower of Babel as a biblical reference. And everything that unfolded thereafter was blatantly prophetic straight from the book of Revelation. It just goes to show that those who are asleep would have glazed right over this and taken it at face value, which is exactly how the devil works. There's always seems to be a twofold meaning to everything so that it can be argued as not being nearly as terrible as what it actually appears to be. And this is why we are called to be awake and aware so that we aren't caught off guard. It's also why we're told to put on the armor of God so that we can withstand the schemes of the devil. And in the same way that someone unfamiliar with scripture could have this clearly prophetic imagery literally paraded in front of their very eyes without even realizing it, those of us unfamiliar with the occult literally have satanic imagery paraded in front of our very eyes on a regular basis without even realizing it. And that's what I'm going to expose today so that you will recognize it going forward when you see it. Manly P. Hall, a famous Freemason, wrote a very popular book in 1944 titled The Secret Destiny of America, which we discussed in episode 14. He was all too familiar with hidden symbolism. In fact, according to Chris Pinto, who was a documentary filmmaker that's uncovered incredible information regarding the hidden faith of our founding fathers, exposed the Rosicrucians, another famous secret society, for developing a secret language. 
which were outwardly, they appeared to be Christian, but inwardly they assigned a different meaning to things like God and salvation, an entirely different belief system known only to them in their secret group. In another book titled Melchizedek and the Mystery of Fire, Manly P. Hall made a very interesting statement, quote, when the human race learns to read the language of symbolism, a great veil will fall from the eyes of men. They shall know the truth, and more than that, they shall realize that from the beginning truth has been in the world, unrecognized, save by a small but gradually increasing number appointed by the lords of the dawn as ministers to the needs of human creatures struggling to regain their consciousness of divinity." Unquote. In other words, symbolism is all around us, hiding in plain sight, except for those few but increasing number who've been enlightened by evil forces and regained the knowledge or consciousness of their divinity, which is a satanic lure that we discussed in episode 25. Through consciousness, you achieve or recognize your ability to be like God. And notice that it's being touted as the truth that we've all been too ignorant to recognize. And I couldn't find the origins of who originally made this comment, but I'm pretty sure it was the famous Q from the QAnon movement who said, quote, symbolism will be their downfall, unquote, which is reminiscent of the scripture in Proverbs 16 that says, quote, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall, unquote. They are getting so comfortable parading their symbolism around in front of us because they've realized that no one is paying attention or catching on to it. Take, for example, the global corporation Apple. Do you think it's a coincidence that their logo is an apple with a bite taken out of it? And what about 2 Timothy chapter 3, which says that in the end days, men will be lovers of themselves and compare that to the name of Apple products iPhone, iPad, iPod, me, me, me. And what about the popular monster drinks whose featured slogan is, quote, unleash the beast with their famous logo, which on quick glance appears to be three claw marks down the front of the can. But if you look closer, each claw mark is actually a Hebraic letter, the same Hebraic letter three times. The letter of the Hebrew alphabet called Vav, which has a numeric equivalent of the number six. So the three claw marks literally represent 666, which matches both their name and their slogan. And then there's the super popular soda, Sprite, which we discussed at Christmas. Directly on Coca-Cola's website is given the history of Sprite. Because Santa Claus was made uber famous by Coca-Cola, they rolled out Sprite Boy in 1942, who appeared alongside Santa all throughout the 1940s and 50s. They claim that he got his name because he was a Sprite, which came from the Latin word for spirit, a term widely used in European folklore for fairies and elves. If you remember from episode 8, these trickster spirits, also known as leprechauns in Irish folklore, were long considered the demonic spirits of the ancient gods, who visited during times when the veil to the spirit world was most thin, namely at Halloween. Sprite Boy went on to be Santa's first helper elf. And switching gears, David Hevner, an award-winning filmmaker, actor, and writer on popular shows like Dawn of the Living Dead and Days of Our Lives, wrote a book in 2021 called End Times Investigations. And in his book, he exposes a satanic agenda that is constantly conditioning us, not only through advertising, but more specifically in his field of expertise, Hollywood. He offers a history of how our homes were infiltrated in the beginning, which was initially intended to target the family structure, not only through pornography for men, but through soap operas for women, 
which glorified some of the same sexual immorality, drama, and family dysfunction. Then came movies geared towards children, made by Walt Disney, which was filled with sexualized symbols sprinkled throughout each film, hidden in plain sight. And of course now, these movies have morphed into the glorification of witchcraft and the normalization of the occult. Not to mention the new woke agenda, which has recently begun pushing sexual orientation, which is being spoon-fed to our children who are streaming this content on their handheld devices. According to David Hevner, there's a prominent religion in Hollywood that's behind it all. He's talking about a religious system that is controlled by Satan. In fact, he shares his personal experiences with people who presented to have what he labeled as, quote, program multiples. These were people who would become possessed right on set, all while claiming that they were simply, quote, letting their character take over. In fact, some actors became so possessed by their characters that they struggled to return to themselves long after their time on set has ended. He talks about how rampant Hollywood is in witchcraft, sexual perversion, and demons. And he claimed that because he was a Christian, he never became personally possessed, but he did suffer major oppression, which is typically how the devil attacks Christians, which forced him into alcohol and medication as a coping mechanism. He went on to share how medication has now become many people's God. And I found that comment fascinating because it immediately reminded me of Yuval Harari's comment about transhumanism, which we discussed in episode 25. When people begin merging with technology, transhumanists will supposedly be as different from us as we are from Neanderthals. And when he was asked what will happen to those who choose not to connect with this technology, he replied that they would become a useless class of people and the big question at that point would be, what do we need humans for? And when he was asked what would happen to this really stupid class of useless people, he jokingly laughed that the only solution they've come up with so far is to simply keep us happy with drugs and computer games. That's what they think of us. They're addicting our children to whatever will keep them oblivious to the world around them. And when their brains are fried from overstimulation of staring at a screen all day, we pump them full of drugs to correct behavior problems. And in the meantime, there's a spiritual takeover happening right in front of us. I listened to a podcast a month or so ago that blew my mind. It was on a podcast channel called The Confessionals, and the episode was titled Mothers of Darkness, episode number 532. If you've never heard of Jessie Shabatar, I encourage you to search for that podcast and listen to her personal experience in the Luciferian hierarchy. She was trained starting at age four to be a mother of darkness. Now, I had never heard of the Mothers of Darkness before hearing this podcast, but basically, they're a group of five women who are the highest order within Luciferianism on the planet, answering only to Satan himself, the brides of Satan, if you will. And she was chosen and trained to be the successor of her grandmother, who was the Queen Mother of Darkness. Now, before you think that this is a bunch of hooey, if you look at it from a religious standpoint, you could claim that in religious circles, there is also a hierarchy of supposed godliness on earth. Take the Catholic Church, for example, whose pope is closest to God. And under him are the cardinals and archbishops and bishops, not to mention the spiritual hierarchy of God, the archangels, guardian angels, watcher angels, etc., and you have to remember that everything God has, Satan has a counterfeit because he is trying to be God. And I'll use myself as an example. I pray before my episodes. I pray for my podcast. I pray that the words I share don't come from me, that they are inspired by the Holy Spirit working through me. And if I feel this strongly about surrendering my own will and being used as a vessel of God, 
then I know full well there are people out there who pray to Lucifer to be used as a vessel of him, who wholeheartedly are devoted to his work on earth. This isn't some speculation, even though that's what the devil would have you believe. Lucifer is vastly knowledgeable in heavenly technology, as we've discussed in numerous episodes throughout this podcast. And he has openly given this information to his followers. Technology that used to be considered sorcery is now considered science, much of which is so advanced that up until recently, it was even considered science fiction. Things like stargates, accessing other dimensions, and merging humans with machines. But as we've shared in the most recent episode, science is getting scarily close to cracking the codes on these technologies. And whether you realize it or not, science has never been needed in order to utilize the technology. Science is only going to prove that it's real for those who don't believe. Let me repeat myself. Science has never been needed in order to utilize the technology. It's been used for centuries by those under the leadership of Satan in the occult. People are needed, and that's why Lucifer has built an empire of followers on earth that walk among us on a daily basis, and that's what we're going to discuss today. Now, before we get into this, I'm going to warn you that this is going to be intense and parts of it are going to be hard to accept, but I'm sharing it because I can confirm much of it through my own studies. And I want to share with you the testimony that Jesse Shabatar gave in that podcast that I referenced earlier. She gives incredible detail about being raised up in this Luciferian brotherhood. And let me tell you, it is nothing like being raised as a Christian. As Christians, we tend to train up our children to learn God's word through cutesy Bible stories, memorizing scripture through simple songs, learning about the armor of God. And we mirror things like grace and mercy, forgiveness and compassion. We don't typically teach in a manner as if our children are going off to military combat. And yet this is the method used in the Luciferian Brotherhood. There is an army being trained whose sole purpose is to bring forth the kingdom of Lucifer. And they are drafted from the time they are very small children while still impressionable and young enough to not realize that what they're participating in is sinister. And they are equipped in the art of spiritual warfare. They are trained in magic, in accessing the demonic realm, and in summoning spiritual power. And these children are not only trained, but they're also tested in their abilities to prove that they really know how to utilize their magic. There's no faking. You either learn it or you are killed. From the time she was four years old, she witnessed human sacrifice, cannibalism, and child trafficking. Remember, her grandmother was the Queen Mother of Darkness, so she received training in all aspects of the Luciferian Brotherhood because she would essentially one day be one of the rulers of his kingdom. She claims that some of her sponsors along the way included the Nazi Michael Karkok, who was the Ukrainian Legion of Defense leader for Hitler. He recently died in 2020. She was also trained by Colonel Michael Aquino of the U.S. military, John Brennan, the former director of the CIA, Lori Cabot Kent, who was openly known as a high priestess in witchcraft, and Gloria Vanderbilt, the mother of journalist and CNN anchor Anderson Cooper. She also claims to have underwent testing at a young age with a drug called adrenochrome, which is basically blood mixed with the hormone produced by your adrenal gland. She claims that all of her teachers were skilled in the ancient form of procuring adrenochrome. Now, there have been conspiracies circulating for decades, which she didn't cover, that the method used to procure adrenochrome is through the terrorization of children. And if we circle back around to Hollywood, there's a new conspiracy circulating called predictive programming, meaning that they use fictional movies as a form of psychological conditioning to flaunt their agenda or knowledge in plain sight and sort of numb people to the idea through fiction. 
Commission, which makes perfect sense because the very process of procurement was openly displayed in the Disney movie Monsters, Inc. If you remember from the movie, the monsters were trained to terrorize children, and their reality was powered on the screams of children. In the same way, adrenochrome is said to be procured during moments of extreme torture or distress when adrenaline is high. Adrenochrome was more recently portrayed in the Netflix series The Watcher, which was based on a true story of a New Jersey family that moved into a home and began receiving disturbing letters from a stalker wanting, quote, young blood. And the series depicted him as possibly being from a satanic cult that extracts adrenochrome from babies. Now, the purpose of adrenochrome, according to Jesse Shabatar, is to heighten the senses and awareness, or in her case, her spiritual acuity, to heighten her spiritual abilities. Now, her training also included ritual magic and the learning about spiritual gates in a project she called the Looking Glass, which was done through the U.S. military and was why she was exposed to these military leaders. She claims that because she was chosen for one of the highest positions among the Luciferian religion, she was trained in the location of spiritual gates, which is fascinating to me because the Bible is full of references to gates and doorways that we glaze right over because we take them to be metaphorical. But according to her, they are very literal and physical. And of course, Lucifer knows their exact location and has trained his people in accessing and utilizing them. And again, the predictive programming in Hollywood has already exposed this technology through wildly popular shows like the sci-fi series called Stargate. Now, she claims that some of the largest gates give access vertically to either the throne room of God or the lower dimensions known as the demonic realms. And then there are other gates that open horizontally across the globe, point A to point B, which are used by the Luciferian elite for travel. She claims that the U.S. military categorizes this as, quote, remote viewing. But in reality, it's a form of astral projection where your physical body is in one location, but your spiritual body is elsewhere and your consciousness can be in both places at the same time. She also claims that the Looking Glass program has been particularly used by the U.S. military in order to gain information about the future and future events. She herself believes that this is how the popular cartoon The Simpsons has been able to predict so many future events with perfect accuracy, that they were fed this information by the Luciferian Brotherhood based on the biofeedback from the children that were in the Looking Glass program. The Luciferian Brotherhood utilizes the spiritual gifts of these children to peer into the future and predict future events, like what used to be the ancient seers of old. What she describes is eerily reminiscent to the story of the main character in the popular Netflix series Stranger Things, who was a test subject in a national laboratory intended to develop her psychokinetic skills. And speaking of which, she claims that one of her training partners in this program was Elon Musk, which is both shocking but also makes perfect sense because, as I shared in a previous episode, there's a woman who came forward in recent years claiming that she was hired as the housekeeper for Elon Musk's family when he was a young boy. And she claims to have stumbled into his room one day where he had opened a portal and was speaking to beings through it. Of course, she was dismissed as delusional, but after hearing Jesse Shabatar mention his connection to the program, it seems all the more plausible. Now, something incredibly interesting that Jesse shared about this testing, which I immediately picked up on, is that out of all the children utilized in these programs over the course of 50 years, not one was able to see past the year 2024. And remember, this program has been used by Lucifer as his attempt to predict the future and counteract God. And yet there's something about 
the year 2025 and beyond that they've not been able to access in order to manipulate. And if you haven't heard episode 19, I encourage you to go back and listen to it because I share some very interesting predictions about what's coming in the year 2025. And when I heard her casually mention this, I about fell out of my chair. It's confirmation that there is coming a point in time where Satan will no longer be able to manipulate and he will have reached the moment in history when his future is predestined and there's no way out of it or to circumvent it. Amazing. Now, Jessie went on to say that she also participated in what she referred to as the Star Wars program, which was basically how to operate the spiritual gates, which coincidentally, she claims operate off of frequency, sound, and harmony, which I also found fascinating because I discussed in episode 24 that the universe may very well be held together by sound through the voice of God. God spoke the universe into being and he holds everything together by the power of his word and she referenced psalms where king david himself speaks about these gates in a passage that we're all familiar with but again we take as metaphorical psalm 100 verse 4 quote enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise unquote here, we're told exactly that praise and thanksgiving unlocks the gate to enter his courts. And she goes on to say that because the Luciferian Brotherhood does not worship God and refuse to give him praise and thanks, they're unable to replicate that specific frequency to unlock the gate. But they can replicate something that comes very close, which also opens the gate, and that is ecstasy, which is why witches and warlocks would gather in certain places throughout history and engage in sexual ritual magic, like we discussed in episode 23, with the sole purpose of opening the spiritual gates to release their gods. And this is a perfect example of what I shared earlier. These gates can now be breached through science and the technology being utilized at CERN. But prior to CERN, these gates have been accessed through occult rituals for centuries. Science wasn't needed in order to discover them. Science is simply proving them true. People, on the other hand, were needed in order to access them because it's only through us that they can be unlocked. And she claims that this knowledge was given to King Solomon by God. Now, King Solomon has always been depicted as a king with vast wisdom and knowledge given directly by God. The occult then utilized the knowledge stored in the annuals and chronicles of Solomon and wrote the occultic books, the Key of Solomon and the Lesser Key of Solomon, which went on to be classified as Solomonic magic throughout the occult. She goes on to share how the United States military is directly connected to the Luciferian army, meaning his spiritual army. In her training, she learned that the names given of fallen angels in biblical and extra-biblical texts are not just ancient entities. These are Satan's generals in his army, and she knew nine of them personally and worked with them in the program. Beings like Abaddon or Apollyon, Baal, Moloch, Thoth, Leviathan, and Azazel are just a few of the names that she mentioned. And the fact that these demonic fallen angelic entities work so closely and even advise some of the highest ranking members of our U.S. military reminds me of yet another podcast episode I listened to from The Confessionals, episode number 122. It was an unnamed high-ranking former military serviceman who was giving his testimony of a top-secret but bizarre recon mission that he was on, in which 
they were sent to extricate any available information from a craft and then destroy whatever was left to keep foreign adversaries from discovering the technology. And once they arrived at the craft, it was instantly obvious that it was no ordinary plane. The symbols displayed inside of it were not of any language that he was familiar. And he was proficient in numerous languages because of his training and field of expertise. The scientist who was sent to aid the recon party let it slip that it wasn't a language known to humanity. In fact, he called it Enochian, which seemed to really spook him, meaning that it was fallen angel language and technology that they were sent to destroy to keep it from falling in the wrong hands. Now, the serviceman giving his testimony on the podcast had no idea what Enoch or fallen angels even were, and he was still trying to piece together the information during his interview on the podcast. So this confirms that the U.S. military, or at least those high enough to command this recon mission, were well aware of what they would be encountering, which dealt with fallen angels. And not only that, but when you hear stories of alien abductees, Many of those stories include interactions with military servicemen who were aiding in some way the extraterrestrials. In episode 20, I shared a connection to alien greys with what Enoch described as the gatekeepers of hell in the book of Enoch. Again, sharing a connection with demonic forces working alongside our military. So Jesse goes on to say that because of his fall, Satan and his generals lost access to the throne room of God. Now, Satan is allowed to go back strictly in order to accuse the believers. But she made an interesting comment that stuck out to me, that it all has to do with the physical land rights. Because he's trying to make earth his domain. And as we discussed in episode 25, we were given domain over earth by God. So Satan attempts to steal it by keeping us in a state of unrighteousness, and he accuses the brethren by claiming that we, in essence, allow him a rite of passage on earth through our unrighteousness. And this is why we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3, that we will one day judge angels because they transgressed onto our domain. In Jude chapter 1, we're told that the angels did not stay within their own domain, but they abandoned their heavenly estate and committed crimes on humanity. According to Tim Alberino, in the same way that if you commit a crime in a foreign country, you are then subject to punishment according to the laws of that country. The angels who fornicated with the women of earth, along with their descendants, will face judgment according to the laws of our domain. Jesse goes on to say that since he's only allowed to access the throne room of God to accuse the brethren, and his generals aren't allowed their period, then the only way that he will ever be able to usurp the throne of God is by manipulating the spiritual gifts given to the children of God, who he can align with his demonic army. Exactly what we discussed in episode 25. They have to use humanity as a vessel, a human host that can be possessed because only we have the ability to access the spiritual gates and go before the throne of God. And through these secretive military programs, they are attempting to build up the stamina of human children to withstand stronger and stronger demonic entities who can then be used as a demonic host in the battle of Armageddon, which she claims will be the moment when he attempts to make his assault on the throne room of God through the army that he's built. And speaking of land rights and the battle over dominion, this ties back to that transhumanist agenda. Just like we talked about in episode 25, he will tempt us with the knowledge of God, just like he did to Eve in the Garden of Eden. But it's a trap because if we ever become something other than human, we not only lose our dominion over earth, but we become irredeemable and Satan wins on both fronts. And the final really interesting thing that she discussed was the hierarchy within the Luciferian Brotherhood, which we touched on briefly in our conversation about bloodlines back in episode 10. 
At the top of the hierarchy is the five mothers of darkness who receive their orders directly from Satan. Equal to them are also a group of five men who are known as Merlin. And only a select few know the identities of these leaders. In fact, everyone within the hierarchy have cover lives. No one within the public would have any idea that these people operate within the Luciferian order. In fact, her grandmother, the Queen Mother of Darkness, appeared publicly as a sweet little old lady homemaker who loved to bake and was a devout Catholic who attended Mass weekly. Underneath the Mothers of Darkness are the Council of 300, which we discussed in episode 10. Now, this council goes by many names, one of which is the Global Alliance. And it serves as the board for the system, both internationally and within the United States. Included on this council are the families representing the 13 bloodlines, which include rulers, kings, and presidents. Some on the board run universities and organizations like the World Economic Forum, and even more are businessmen who oversee finance and economy. If you remember from episode 17, we discussed the depth of how Satan has had millennia to elevate his people into positions of power to literally control the globe. Now, there are several sub-councils of this Council of 300, one of which is the Bilderbergs, and another is the Council of Nine, of which Queen Elizabeth was a member. Underneath the council are the Grand High Priest and Priestesses who oversee the quadrants of Earth, North, South, East, and West. Now, there's a quadrant both internationally and one specifically within the United States. And underneath the Grand High Priest and Priestesses are the High Priest and Priestesses, which operate within each quadrant in specific positions, which might include state representatives or positions of power even lower on the totem pole within a county or even a city. And these High Priest and Priestesses oversee the five departments. Within each quadrant are what Jesse calls the five departments, and these are religious departments. The Mormons, the Masons, the Jesuit Catholics, the Jewish Kabbalists, and the Satanists. Although the system wants you to believe that they're all separate, according to Jesse, they all answer to the Luciferian Brotherhood. And these five departments oversee the system's assets. And this is where we take the darkest turn of all. The assets for the Luciferian system are children. And there are two types of assets. First are the hierarchy children, those like Jesse Shabatar, who are born into the system and considered bloodline. And then they're chosen to fill certain positions even something as minuscule as a secretary for a Catholic church. These children spend their time being trained for the position that they will eventually fill to ensure that the system continues to operate. The other form of asset are what they call the expendable children, whose main purpose is to provide profit for the system. These are children who are trafficked and abused by the elite within the system, who purchase them with the sole intent to commit crimes against them, primarily through sexual abuse. Human and child trafficking serve as a huge source of profit in the Luciferian Brotherhood. And I bet you wouldn't even believe the organizations who participate in it. At the top of the list is none other than Disney. According to Jesse, once these children can no longer be used sexually, the elite bid on them for either ritual sacrifice or cannibalism. And before you think that there is no way that this could ever happen, this has been going on in pagan and occult circles since the dawn of time. Does the name Baal sound familiar? The ancient deity who demanded child sacrifice? What about Kronos from Greek mythology who literally ate his own children? Even in the book of Revelation, there's a reference to the dragon who, quote, stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born, unquote. 
You have to think about it like this. These elite circles are full of witchcraft, sexual perversion, and demonic possession. And they include everyone from heads of state to movie stars to the most popular singers. All of the people who joke that they gained their fame by making a deal with the devil and selling their soul. Which means that they have a void that will never be satisfied. They can never achieve peace. So what happens when they're given fortune and fame? There's only so many houses, cars, luxuries, and vacations that you can take. What fills the void when you've conquered the world? Eventually, the only thing that can replicate that high is doing what's considered forbidden, which starts out small at first and progressively grows as they're literally able to get away with murder. And even after they've sacrificed and cannibalized, there is still more money that can be made. According to Jesse Shabatar, they then pay extra to have the ashes of their victims turned into a diamond, which is then used as a trophy to be paraded in public. And although we may see a whopper of a ring amongst themselves, these are recognized as symbols of status, badges of honor, which display their magical power and what dimensions they've accessed through sex magic. And speaking of symbols that they display openly, let's talk about Balenciaga. The famous fashion brand launched a new ad campaign back in November of 2022 that featured small children standing in various rooms holding stuffed animals that were wearing bondage gear. And that was just the most shocking thing that jumped out upon initial reaction. People who studied these photos in depth to decipher the message being given recognized hidden Easter eggs, if you will, sprinkled throughout these photographs that made them a thousand times worse. On a table in one of these images appear to be documents from a Supreme Court ruling that dealt with child pornography. In another image, there's a certificate bearing the name of John Philip Fisher hanging on the wall. He was a convicted child molester. In yet another image is a copy of an art book by Michael Boromans, who was known for his paintings of new children and adults participating in violent acts such as cannibalism. And another image had one of the children wearing red shoes. Now, red shoes has long been a symbol promoted in conspiracy circles, which are believed to represent an elite pedophile ring who was known for not only trafficking children, but their child hunting rituals. These pedophiles were said to have put children as young as two in the forest at night to hunt them for enjoyment. And then they procure adrenochrome from the terrified children and make shoes out of human leather as yet another trophy that can be paraded in plain sight. Now, this may seem far-fetched, but Tony Podesta, the brother of John Podesta, has long been known for his eccentric and unusual collection of pedophilic paintings. Now, his artwork can be searched online, but you should brace yourself for deeply disturbing images. And the children in his artwork wear red shoes, similar to the child in the Balenciaga campaign. And the final cherry on top of this Balenciaga campaign was in the same photo as the child wearing the red shoes. It was a roll of what looked like caution tape, which had been made to display the name of the brand, except that it was misspelled. Instead of Balenciaga, it was spelled with two A's to say Balenciaga. And speaking of Tony Podesta, he shares a connection to Marina Abramovic, a satanic artist born in Serbia, known for her elite connections. She's been made famous for promoting what she calls spirit cooking. Coincidentally, there are pictures of some of her spirit cooking parties floating around the internet with people you might know, like Lady Gaga, spooning what appears to be some type of syrup off a naked body laying in a trough. Now, her dinner parties include human heads as centerpieces on the dining table and artwork that includes words written in blood red paint, which say deeply disturbing things like, quote, with a sharp knife cut deeply into the middle finger of the left hand, eat the pain, unquote. 
And some of her photographs of herself include her dressed in blood red attire, holding the horns and head of a deceased goat, which is still covered in blood, eerily reminiscent of a head of Baphomet. She's also known for encouraging the consuming of bodily fluids at her parties, including semen and breast milk. But here's something interesting. In early 2020, she teamed up with Microsoft, who was promoting their HoloLens 2 headset designed for mixed reality. On April the 10th, 2020, Microsoft uploaded a video ad promoting this new technology that predominantly featured Marina Abramovic. In the ad, she discussed a new artistic project that she had created called The Life, which had actually premiered at London's Serpentine Galleries a year prior. The project was said to offer visitors the opportunity to experience an intimate encounter with her, probably an intimate look into her satanic artwork, using the mixed reality headset. Regardless of what she meant, just days after this ad was released, the internet blew up with people connecting her to Satanism and criticizing Bill Gates for promoting it through Microsoft. The ad was immediately removed by Microsoft and never seen again. And circling back around to her connection with Tony Podesta, in November 2016, Tony Podesta's brother, John Podesta's email was hacked and his private messages were published by WikiLeaks in the famous WikiLeaks scandal. Now, John Podesta was Hillary Clinton's campaign manager when she ran against Trump in 2016. One of the messages that was leaked was an email between Marina Abramovic and Tony Podesta. In the email, Marina was confirming Tony's attendance at her upcoming spirit cooking dinner party, and she asked if his brother John would be joining. Tony then forwarded the email to John Podesta, which was subsequently leaked by WikiLeaks. In another one of his emails was a message to James Alefantis, the owner of a pizzeria. In the email, Alefantis discussed possibly hosting a fundraiser for Hillary Clinton. Now, when readers tried to draw a connection to understand why a pizzeria would fundraise for the Democratic Party, a conspiracy was born that the fundraiser was more than likely a child trafficking ring led by Clinton and Podesta, with the word pizza being used as a code word. This led to the famous Pizzagate scandal and blew open the doors with videos, tweets, and references from celebrities being posted and shared who used specific food references in very odd contexts, as if they were using codes in reference to something else. It didn't help that Madonna came on social media around the same time while we were all in lockdown, singing into her hairbrush in her bathroom about wanting fried fish and pasta to the tune of her famous song, Vogue. It was just really bizarre, and I don't want to go too much further into detail on this for time's sake, but if you're a member of my private blog, in my video library is a documentary that was released in 2020 titled Out of Shadows, which covers the entire debacle, including all of the Marina Abramovic history, Tony Podesta's art, and the Pizzagate scandal. And there's one last sinister connection that I want to share in regards to this specific group of people. In 1918, the famous occultist Aleister Crowley supposedly was working on a ritual which would bring forth the devil incarnated into a child. As we discussed last episode, this went on to be portrayed in the Hollywood movie Rosemary's Baby. Now, supposedly, L. Ron Hubbard, the founder of Scientology, and Jack Parsons, an American rocket engineer who was a founding member of NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab, were students of Aleister Crowley's. And years later, they attempted to recreate this ceremony, which they called Babylon Working. But their goal was to bring forth the spirit of the whore of Babylon to become incarnate in a female child. 
Now, in his biography, Jack Parsons claimed that they were, in fact, successful. And in 1946, a female child was conceived through ritual sex magic. He predicted that she would go on to become the most powerful feminist with great political clout. And I can't say for certain, but it's very possible that Hillary Clinton fits the bill. She was born in October 1947. And I could do a whole other episode on the people who she revered as mentors, namely Saul Alinsky, who was said to praise Lucifer in his 1971 book, Rules for Radicals. Woo. And if that information isn't enough to make smoke come out of your ears, there's one more area that I would be remiss if I didn't discuss before we go. There's no possible way for me to make an episode about symbolism and Satanism in high places without mentioning the music industry, which is dripping in Satanism. From Jay-Z throwing up the triangle symbol, which was widely used by Anton LaVey, the founder of the Church of Satan, to Beyonce's altered demonic ego, Sasha Fierce, to Lady Gaga calling Judas her lover, to Billy Idol, who was awarded a Hollywood star on the Walk of Fame in February of this year and sported a massive horned Baphomet ring that was almost the size of his hand. The music industry is truly the heart of Satanism. It's the literal worship of Lucifer. And it's no coincidence that the representatives of Lucifer throughout history were deeply connected to music. Take the Greek god Pan, for example, who was a half-man, half-goat hybrid. Almost the exact depiction of Baphomet, who supposedly loved music, dancing, and singing. And if you saw the Chronicles of Narnia series, Mr. Tumnus, a half-man, half-fawn hybrid, was introduced into the movie by playing a flute, which lulled one of the children to sleep for a sinister purpose. And his story is also partially based on the folklore of the Pied Piper, which coincidentally was based on a true story. On June 26th in the year 1284, 130 children in Hamlin, Germany, were led out of town by a piper wearing multicolored clothes, and they disappeared forever. An entry in Hamlinstown Records dating 1384 says, quote, It is 100 years since our children left, unquote. They never discovered what happened to the children, and this story not only went on to inspire the tale of the Pied Piper, but it also influenced the famous story of the fictional character Peter Pan, who himself used a magical instrument to collect children to join his group of lost boys. It was widely promoted that only those who felt abandoned or unloved were able to hear the music from his instrument. Which really breaks my heart as a parent because these still seem to be the children who are collected by evil forces and lured into a trap. And then there's the Roman god Apollo, who, believe it or not, was also known as the god of music. The same god who was prophesied in scripture to one day return and possess the Antichrist. He was known as the Olympian god of light, prophecy and knowledge, order and beauty. Sound familiar? That sounds eerily similar to Lucifer, if you ask me. Satan was also an angel of light with knowledge of the inner workings of God. He was also said to be beautiful, and he too was a worshiper. And I think the most powerful revelation that I heard while researching this episode is that Satan never lost his gift of worship. He only lost his anointing. And he uses his gift to entrance those who love a good beat, but don't pay attention to the lyrics. And he uses his demonic spirits to write worship songs, which top the charts. In 2004, Bob Dylan was interviewed on CBS, and he not only said on national television that he sold his soul to the devil to get where he is, but he claimed that his earliest songs were, quote, almost magically written, unquote. And over the years, he looked back and didn't even remember writing them or how he came up with them. 
in the same way that Beyonce claims that one day something just came over her and she began to be possessed on stage by her alter ego, Sasha Fierce. And what about what happened at the Travis Scott concert in 2021 at Astro World in Houston, whose entrance into the concert was a massive head that people had to walk through the mouth to enter the park. It was eerily reminiscent of Heronius Bosch's famous painting of the Gates of Hell. In fact, article after article were released after the concert, with attendees claiming that they felt like they were in hell. Another article had someone claiming that as soon as he jumped on stage, it was like an energy took over and everything went haywire. People were literally being crushed to death. The head medic for Astroworld said that 11 people went into cardiac arrest at the same time during the concert. Not only was the stage designed to look like a giant portal that flashed sayings like, see ya on the other side, but throughout the concert, despite pleas and screams from the crowd, the show never stopped, even as lifeless bodies were being carried away by security. Not only that, but earlier that same year, Canadian singer and songwriter The Weeknd performed the Super Bowl halftime show, which not only opened with what appeared to be a red-eyed angel descending from the top of the stadium into a choir of red-eyed beings on stage, but his backup singers were donned in blood-red jackets wearing what looked to be full head bandages. And during one point in the concert, the word Satan flashed across the screen behind the stage. Also in 2021, the singer Lil Nas X blew up the charts. He not only came out with a custom Nike sneaker that contained human blood in it, which he called Satan Shoes, but he released a hit song, Call Me By Your Name. In the music video, he's depicted as giving the devil a sexualized lap dance. He goes on to snap the devil's neck and take his horns. This song went on to be nominated for three Grammy Awards, Song of the Year, Record of the Year, and Best Music Video at the 64th Annual Grammy Awards in 2022. What's even scarier about Lil Nas X is that he rose to fame because of a song he wrote called Old Town Road, which was hugely popular with children. In fact, he was seen in his early days singing it at schools and dancing to it with children. And as soon as he became famous and had a following, he immediately portrayed himself as a Satanist and openly flaunted his homosexuality. When parents began complaining that he targeted children to gain a following and was now influencing them in negative ways, he posted a tweet that responded, quote, I think about adultery in Old Town Road. You decided to let your children listen. Blame yourself, unquote. And what about this year, 2023, Sam Smith's performance at the Grammys wearing blood red attire and a top hat with devil horns and shoes that resembled the feet of a goat, surrounded by women worshiping him while he flashed hand symbols and sung his chart-topping song titled Unholy. Ahead of his Grammy performance, he tweeted that his show was going to be something special with a devil emoji, to which CBS's Twitter account responded, quote, We are ready to worship, unquote, which blew the Internet up with people questioning if CBS was actually openly admitting that they worship Satan. Needless to say, the comment was quickly removed. Sam Smith also showed up to the Grammys with his posse all in red, every one of them in blood red attire. In fact, Jesse Shabatar made comments that his attire was indicative of a high priest within the Luciferian order. As we said before, they flash symbolism even through their fashion and wear specific colors to not only symbolize their positions or the positions they intend to battle for, but also the colors they wear tell you what quadrant they represent. And just days after the Grammys, Rihanna performed the halftime show at the Super Bowl 
dressed in the same blood-red color. Not only that, but DeMar Hamlin, the Buffalo Bills defensive back, who was in critical condition just a month prior after collapsing on the field during a game, made a surprise appearance at the Super Bowl wearing a very strange jacket that depicted a cartoon version of Christ on the cross with a contorted face. According to Jesse Shabatar, much of the Luciferian symbolism is based on blood and water. Red symbolizing blood and blue symbolizing water. And when they're depicted together, it's symbolic of a ceremony of sorts. And at the Super Bowl, Rihanna was in red and Damar Hamlin was wearing a blasphemous blue jacket. Now, he confessed later that the image on his jacket was an artistic collaboration between a Japanese artist and Travis Scott, who had a chain necklace made of the same contorted face of Christ. Now, Travis Scott is who performed the satanic concert at Astro World that left seven people dead and one woman brain dead. And this supposed Japanese artist has also designed cover art for Kanye West. And speaking of Kanye West, he's been known for saying super controversial things like that his mother was actually a sacrifice for his fame. She supposedly died in a hospital after complications from plastic surgery in 2007. He also changed his name to Jesus and wrote his own version of the Bible called the Book of Jesus, which opens in Genesis with a quote of his where he calls himself a God. And he replaces the name and references of God all throughout the Bible to be his name instead. Now, he also teamed up with Marilyn Manson and Justin Bieber on Halloween in 2021 to conduct a Sunday service choir concert. They, along with the entire choir, were dressed in solid white. And back in 2016, Kanye was rushed to an L.A. hospital shortly after outing Jay-Z as a member of the Illuminati. The Ronald Reagan UCLA Medical Center is a place where many celebrities and elite go after having public breakdowns. It's known for its brainwashing psych ward, specifically because it was home to psychiatrist, LSD researcher, and top mind control programmer Lewis West, who carried out his MK Ultra work there into the late 1980s. And speaking of Jay-Z, he's been known for calling himself Jehovah, one of the many names of Almighty God, Jehovah, which translates into English as Lord. Some of his famous lyrics are, quote, Christ can't save you and life won't begin until Christianity ends, unquote. In fact, at one of Hillary Clinton's rallies, Jay-Z rapped the words, quote, middle finger to the Lord, unquote, in his performance. He's also known for wearing clothes with the phrase, do what thou wilt, which is taken directly from occultist Aleister Crowley. It's the core teaching of the occult religious movement that Aleister Crowley founded called Thelema. It's basically the concept that you are your own God, governed by your own free will and pleasure. And Jay-Z also has strong connections to Marina Abramovic. In fact, they collaborated on art. And later, she came out claiming that Jay-Z had used her. And in an interview with Spike Magazine, she claims that she was upset. Quote, since he adapted my work only under one condition, that he would help my institute, which he didn't, unquote. Later, her institute released a statement of their own, saying that they had received a donation from Jay-Z and somehow forgot to tell Marina about it. They went on to apologize to both parties publicly. How bizarre. Something is rotten in the state of Denmark. And we can't talk about Jay-Z without mentioning Beyonce. Beyonce is often depicted wearing horns, Baphomet displayed on her outfits, and dressed like she's a queen of darkness. In fact, she's often referred to as the Queen Bee. On my blog, I share images of her dressed to replicate the ancient Egyptian goddess Isis, who was the mother of the pagan god. I also share a video of her in one of her first interviews where she's describing the first time that Sasha Fierce entered her before going on stage. 
Now, in 2018, Beyonce's former drummer filed a restraining order against Beyonce, citing extreme witchcraft. She claimed that Beyonce was practicing extreme witchcraft and conjuring magic spells of sexual molestation against her. Basically, she was being tormented in her own home by invisible spirits. She also accused Beyonce of murdering her cat. And yet, these are the people viewed and worshipped worldwide as idols. It's bad enough that there are people among us in our own communities with deep connections to Lucifer, who themselves parade around as angels of light. But then you have the elite, those who are public figures in the arena of politics, royalty, Hollywood, and music, who openly portray their religion because they believe themselves to be untouchable. And this is how people like R. Kelly, Jeffrey Epstein, fashion designer Peter Nygaard, Harvey Weinstein, Bill Cosby, Prince Andrew, the Dalai Lama, and others are able to get away with unspeakable things. And this is why Satan can go before the throne of God and claim that we allow him a rite of passage on earth because we turn a blind eye to his wickedness. They are exposing who they are and what they represent and yet we continue to support their unrighteousness. Maya Angelou had a famous saying, quote, when someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time, unquote. And I think that's the perfect way to conclude the episode. I hope this episode hasn't been too traumatic, but I wanted to show you the reality of the Luciferian kingdom that is in place and working, in some cases right under our very nose, in other cases right in front of our very eyes. And it's time that we wake up and begin to recognize evil for what it is and stop justifying it as art or politics or coincidence or happenstance. Symbolism is intentional, and it's required by those in the Luciferian Brotherhood. They are required at one point in time or another to make a public display, not only to prove devotion, but to see if anyone will notice and if we will allow them to get away with it. And it's high time that we start calling them out. And with that, I just want to remind you that I will be back in August and I'm already counting down the seconds and I'm not disappearing off the face of the earth. I have an active Facebook group where I share headlines and communicate daily. So feel free to join the group and stay in touch if you're on social media. I'm also going to be revamping my blog over the summer and uploading all existing episodes along with the reference material for my members to access. Now, information for accessing the blog along with the Facebook group are located in the description of today's episode. And if you're loving the podcast, please consider leaving me a review on whatever platform you're using. Reviews bring credibility for those who aren't familiar with my show. And make sure that you hit the subscribe button so that you receive notifications when new episodes are uploaded in August. And since it's the end of a season, I want to go a bit off script and speak a prayer over you, especially having dealt with such an intense topic today. There's a beautiful song that I absolutely love. It's by Christian artist Carrie Job called The Blessing. Now, for copyright purposes, I'm not permitted to play the entire song for you, but I want to close out the show with a tiny clip of it. The lyrics of the song are... The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children. May his presence go before you and behind you and beside you all around you and within you. He is with you. In the morning, in the evening, in your coming, in your going, in your weeping and rejoicing, He is for you. And with that, I hope you have a great summer and that you're able to spend some time with family. And as always, please share this podcast with a friend. We'll see you next time. Shine.
upon 